everybody together. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Now some of y'all, about like that guy, they put those uh, sparks to the preacher's talking about the other night. You need a little bit of revival. Verse number two, everybody's singing, let's pick it up. We praise thee, O God, for the spirit of light who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. All glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who has borne all our sins and has cleansed every stain. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. That's good singing. Turn around, let's shake hands and have a little bit of fellowship. day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. 
Jesus saves and keeps me, and he's the one that I adore. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. One more time. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. Jesus saves and keeps me, and he's the one that I adore. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Amen. Good to see everyone. We want to go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to bless everything that's going on this evening. Uh, several of our Awana workers, they're over in the building doing some work tonight. So we want to pray for them. Of course, the young people in the back want to remember all these things. Of course, pray for Brother Ken and all the family. They should be returning uh, tomorrow unless they just uh, bought them a house down there in Nassau somewhere, they, which is a distinct possibility. But otherwise, they'll be back tomorrow. So let's pray for safety for them as they come home. But let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to bless this service this evening. And I'll ask Peter, Denise, if you would lead us in prayer. Amen. Amen. Remain standing. We'll continue to sing. 269, 269, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Verse number four, this is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thank you. You can be seated, but turn to page number 45. 45. Let's just do one more course before we stop. Father, I adore you. We'll just do that first verse a couple of times. Father, I adore you. Lay my life before you. How I 
right there. Thank you. Let's have the ushers come if they would, and we'll take up the regular Wednesday evening offering. And as they do, I want to remind you of just a couple of things. Uh, as you know, everything that was received on Wednesday night is used to help support the Bible conference, which is just around the corner. Very, very close. Looking forward to that. Been praying for it. So everything you give tonight will go for that. And then a reminder of those uh, that's been coming on Wednesday night right after church. We'll meet over in the fellowship hall in the middle room there. We've been going through a video series entitled, um, I was trying to think of the title, Boosting Your Mate's Self-Esteem, Helping Your Mate's Self-Esteem. What is it? Building Your Mate's Self-Esteem. It's the same thing. Uh, anyway, that'll be tonight, and so don't forget about that, those of you that's been attending that. And then also, um, Carolyn Bikina, as many of you know, she's been at uh, Health South going through rehab therapy for uh, about two weeks now, but she's going to be going home pretty soon, and she has a need not just for a wheelchair. She has a wheelchair, but it doesn't have the, you know, the, where you put your feet and they kind of they flip up and you can get out of the way. That's what she needs. Now, I don't know if each wheelchair has different kinds of, if they'll fit or not, but uh, she has that need and we're trying to locate that for her. And if you have a wheelchair, if you have, you know, those on your wheelchair, whatever at home, if you have one, that would help her out a lot. And if you do, just see me or see Monty Daggett. He is her Sunday school teacher. So she has that need. All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to bless the offering. Father, in Jesus' name, we do thank you uh, for this service. Thank you for all that you do. We love you and we praise you. Thank you for the privilege to be able to give. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of you surely know that course right there. We'll talk it over in the by and by. We'll talk it over in the by and by. We'll talk it over, my Lord and I. I'll ask the reason. I'll ask the reason. He'll tell me. talk it over in the by and by. That's good singing tonight. Ann, you come and sing for us if you would. A couple of weeks ago, Brother Ken preached a message, and it was about Abraham sacrificing Isaac 
And right at the last minute, God supplied the sacrifice. And this is what this song is called. It's called God Himself the Lamb. And, you know, we could think of that as a metaphor for our own lives. We're, when our lives were on the altar, when we were about to be sacrificed, God himself became the lamb for us. And now we have Calvary where we can go and be covered by his precious blood. God himself the lamb.
It's a beautiful song. Praise the Lord. Well, if you would be finding your place in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 12. We'll look at a few verses of Scripture tonight in that chapter. Hebrews chapter 12, we'll begin reading verse number 5 down through verse number 11. And tonight, as the Lord allows, I'd like to bring a message on this thought, a trip to God's woodshed. A trip to God's woodshed. Now, I know immediately you think about that and you sound like, that sounds pretty heavy for a Wednesday night group. I mean, this is the choir here, but uh, I think once we go through this, you'll find out as I studied this and looked at this, a trip to God's woodshed, even though as you're there, it's not something that's very pleasant and enjoyable while you're there, but it's not all that bad when you consider the result and the desired result that God's trying to bring about. So we want to talk about that tonight, a trip to God's woodshed. If you found your place in Hebrews 12, stand to your feet if you would out of respect for the public reading of the Word of God. Let's read verses 5 down through verse number 11. The Bible says in verse number 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons, for what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more rather in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us, after their own pleasure, but he, speaking of God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastising for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. Thank you for loving us in such a way that when we get out of line and when we go down a wrong path, you will discipline us, and you do that out of love to bring us back into line with you. And Lord, we do thank you for that. Thank you for this passage. Pray that you'll just help us as we look to it, and may we glean from it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I heard about a young man who uh, his parents wanted to send him off to a really nice school and they chose a very, very expensive and very, very elite school in our country. Now the parents, they didn't have a whole lot of money so they knew if they sent their son to this school they would really be pinching pennies and it would take everything they had just to keep their head above water. And indeed that's exactly what happened. He went off to school, very expensive school, and they lived month to month and they had to sacrifice over and over again just to allow their son to be able to go to this very expensive university. Well, on one particular afternoon, the mother went to the mailbox. She found a letter from her son. This is what her son wrote uh, to her, to the mother. It said, Dear Mom, I am writing to inform you that I have flunked all my courses. I had an accident and totally wrecked my car. I owe the clothing store in town $2,000, and I have been suspended for the next semester because of misconduct. Therefore, I'm coming home. Prepare Dad. Well, his mother wrote back about two weeks later. He got a letter back from his mother. It was a one-line letter. This is what the letter said. Dear son, Dad is prepared. Prepare yourself. Well, I would remind you that God is prepared to deal with his children. God has a woodshed. 
And God will take, is prepared to take His children to the woodshed when, they, when sin gets into our lives. When sin gets to, into our lives, God will take us to the woodshed. Now, I want to make a promise to you right up at the very beginning. And that is you will make manifold trips to God's woodshed. More than one time in your life, if you are a Christian, if you know the Lord is your Savior, you will make many trips to God's woodshed. Now, there are several different ways that God could deal with us when it has to do with our sin. Several ways God could, could handle our sin. Number one, God could condemn us. He could save us, and then after we get saved, somewhere along the line, we fall, we sin, and God could right then say, all right, that's it, I gave you your chance, I saved you, but you sinned, you have blew it, now you're going to hell. God could condemn us. But we know that God's not going to do that because Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Well, there's another way that God could deal with our sin. He could condone us. When we sin, God could stick His head in the sand and just totally ignore our sin. He could just completely overlook our sin. God could condone our sin. But we know that God's not going to do that because our God is a righteous God. He is holy and He is just. And under no circumstances will God allow sin to go unpunished. But there's a third way God can deal with us in the matter of sin. See, He could condemn us. He could condone us. But what He does do is correct us. And here in Hebrews chapter number 12, we have described before us, we have described for us a trip to God's woodshed. And I want you to notice about four things if you're taking notes, four things that I want you to write down about a trip to God's woodshed. Number one, I want you to see this. I want you to think about this. The powerful reasons for discipline. The powerful reasons for discipline. Now, at the very beginning, we must understand that God's discipline is not to discourage us. When God disciplines your life, He's not doing that to discourage you. In fact, He is doing it to encourage you. Verse number five says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation. Speaketh unto you as unto children. See that word exhortation? It literally means encouragement. Now you're sitting there and you're thinking about a trip to God's woodshed. What possibly could be encouraging about taking a trip to God's woodshed? Well, there's a couple of things that I'd like to point out to you. Number one, it confirms our identity. It confirms our identity. Look at verses number six and seven. The Bible says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? You know, one of the marks that you are a child of God, one of the marks that you are saved is that God will discipline you when you get out of line with him. God will discipline you when there's sin in your life. Now, I want, to make a, I'm not, I want to make a statement, and the purpose of this message, and I think the purpose of this passage, is not to make anyone doubt their salvation. And I don't want to make anybody doubt your salvation, but let me make a statement. And I say it dogmatically, dogmatically based upon the Word of God. If you are here tonight, and you have never made a trip to God's woodshed, if you have never experienced the discipline of God, you are not saved. You are not saved. You might be sitting here tonight, and I'll, I'll show you the passage in just a moment. You might be sitting here tonight and say, Well, Brother Brian, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm saved. I know that I'm saved. But Brian, I, I'm looking at my life. I understand my Watch how I live. I pretty much do whatever I want. I go wherever I want. I do whatever I want. I do it for however long I want. I do whatever I want, and it does not bother me. And I, I have not been, not one time have I ever made a to God's woodshed. And you say, now, Brother Brian, I told you I'm saved. How do you explain that? 
Well, the explanation is very simple. The explanation is you are not a Christian. If you have never made a trip to God's woodshed, you are not a child of God. You see, a child of God, if there is unrevealed, unrecognized, unrepented sin in your life that's caused you neither guilt nor grief, you're lost and you need to be saved. You say, Brian, how do you say that? How can you possibly make a statement like that? Look at verse number 8. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. The Bible says if you have never experienced the chastisement of the Lord, that, says, that means that you are an illegitimate child. You are not a child of God. There are a lot of people, there are a lot of Christians, and it's possibly so even in this church, but around the world there are Christians sitting in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. They claim to be saved. They think they're saved, but it's obvious they are not saved. Now, not because they sin, because every Christian sins. I sin and you sin. But the difference is they sin and it does not bother them one bit. And they never have to experience and to endure the discipline of God. So, I'm encouraged by the fact that if I have to face the discipline of the Lord, it confirms my identity. It reminds me and tells me I am a child of God and because He loves me, He is going to discipline me. So it confirms our identity. But there's a second thing that I want to point out to you. Not only does it confirm our identity, but number two, it corrects our iniquity. It corrects our iniquity. There's an important lesson in the Word of God. It's throughout the Scriptures. You study individuals, as you read verses, there's an important lesson in the Word of God. It matters not how much money you have. It matters not how much power you have. You may be a multi-billionaire. You may be the President of the United States. You may be a professional athlete. You may be a movie star. I don't care who you are. Nobody, nobody gets away with sin. Now, you might be able to get a, a slick lawyer and get you off and so you not have to pay for your sin to society. But nobody, nobody gets away with sin in the eyes of God. Now, please understand that discipline is not a sign. God's discipline is not a sign that He does not love you. It is not a sign that God does not love you. On the contrary, it is a sign that He does love you. It says there in verse number 6, For whom the Lord loves, He chasteneth. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. God, is loving, God will lovingly use and he is willing to use any means necessary to bring his children back to a place of repentance, holiness, and love. Let me see if I can illustrate that. I read about a story, interesting, kind of humorous story, really. But there's a particular family. In fact, it was a father and three sons. A father and three sons. Their names were uh, the father and then the sons were Jim, John, and Sam. Now, these, this family, these men... A father and three boys. They, at one time, they were very faithful to church. They loved God. They were in church. They were involved in everything that had to do with church. They, they were in on it all. Well, somewhere along the line, they kind of got away. They kind of strayed away, and they got out of church, and it got to the point where they had no desire whatsoever to go back to church. They had no desire for anything of God. They were truly saved, but yet they were way backslidden. They were way far, far away from the Lord, and, and the pastor would go see them, and they would be kind of rude to him. They'd say, we don't want nothing. Thank you for coming, but just go ahead and leave. We don't want nothing to do with that church. We don't want nothing to do with God anymore. Some of the uh, members of the church, some of the brothers went down to see him. They got the same thing. Some of the Sunday school teachers went down to their house. The same thing over and over and over again. We're not going back. Well, it come a day where those three boys, they were out in the pasture tending to whatever, whatever work they needed to be doing. And one of them, John, I believe it was, was bit by a rattlesnake. And when that, he was bit by the rattlesnake and it nearly killed him, he was about to die. Of course, they called for the doctor. The doctor came, looked him over and said, 
said, look, I, and he did as much as he could. He said, look, I've done as much as I can. The only thing I know to tell you is you need to pray. You need to pray for your son. God alone is the only one that could do anything about your son. So as good Baptist as they are, they called their preacher. They said, preacher, you need to come to our house. We need you to pray. Pastor, would you please pray for our son? We need you to pray. And the pastor said, oh, now you want me to pray. And they said, yes, please pray. Please pray for our son. And the pastor said, all right, let's all gather in the living room. Let's hold hands. We'll get down on our knees and let's pray. Now listen to the prayer that the pastor prayed. This is what he prayed. O wise and righteous Father, we thank thee that in thy wisdom thou hast sent this rattlesnake to bite John in order to bring him to his senses. He has not been inside the church house for years. And it is doubtful that in all this time he has ever felt the need of prayer. Now we trust that this will be a valuable lesson to him and that it will lead him to genuine repentance. So now, O oh Father, wilt thou send another snake to bite Sam, and another one to bite Jim, and a big one to bite the old man. We've been doing everything we know for years to restore them, but to no avail. It seems that all our combined efforts could not do what this one snake has done. Thus we conclude that the only thing left that will do this family any good is more rattlesnakes. So, Lord, send us bigger and better rattlesnakes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's kind of a humorous story, whatever, but it gets the point across that God is willing to do anything, anything necessary to get one of his children back into the right relationship with him. That is the powerful reasons for discipline. But there's a second thing that I want you to notice. Not only the powerful reasons for discipline, but number two, the personal route of discipline. The personal route of discipline. We've seen why God disciplines us, why he does these things, but how does God go about it? How does God discipline us? We're plainly told in the verses that we just read that there are three ways that God can discipline his children. Three ways that God can, can discipline his children. And each one it gets more severe as you go. But the first level, they kind of go in stages or in levels. The first stage or the first way that God can discipline his children is by internal conviction internal conviction. Look at verse number 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. You see the word rebuke there? It's the, you get the idea that God is using his word. He is rebuking somebody for what they have done. Now I, I dare say I know that there is not a one of us in this room. You haven't experienced that time. There ha you haven't had that Situation where you have said, either said or done something wrong and immediately, as soon as you said it, or immediately, as soon as you did it, there is that, that twinge of guilt. There is that, that prick of your conscience and you know that you've done something wrong. You know that you have sinned and you know that God is not pleased. You know what that is? That is internal conviction. You see, God has a way of speaking to our hearts in that still, small voice. God will speak down in the depths of your soul and make you realize that's not right. That is sin. Now, many of you are parents or have raised your children. How, much, how would you rather discipline your children? Would you rather use a word or would you rather use a whip? Wouldn't you much rather just be able to speak to your child and have that child turn, straighten up and turn around and, and do things right? Isn't it, isn't it great when you can just say to your son or to your daughter, hey, that's not right, that's not right, don't do that. And then immediately they say, you're right, I'm sorry, you're, I'm sorry, Dad, I'm sorry, Mom. They, and they straighten up. Isn't it much better when you can just use a word rather than a whip with your child? But as you well know, and as I, can, as I have experienced when I was growing up, children just don't listen sometimes. 
They get it in their mind. They're going to do things their way. They're, they got their rebellious heart. It's all bowed up. And they're going to do things their way regardless. That's when you have to take the next step. When a word don't work, then you have to go to the next step. So you see, in the Lord, the way the Lord does it, He uses internal conviction first. But if that doesn't work, He goes to the second thing. And the second thing is this, external affliction. External affliction. Verse number 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Now in verse number 5, he talks about rebuke. Verse number 6, he talks about chastening. This is when the Lord spanks you. This is when the Lord spanks me. First the Lord speaks, and if that doesn't work, then he spanks. Now there's all kinds of ways that God can discipline our lives. There's all kinds of ways, things that God can use. For example, he could refuse to listen to our prayers. The psalmist said in Psalm 66, verse 18, he said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. He could refuse to listen to your prayers. If he doesn't do that, he could remove his presence from you. He could take his hand off your life. He could take away his power from you. He could take away your power. He could use a lot of different things. He could use sickness. He could cause you to lose your job. He could send trouble into your life. He could use all kinds of things in this world and all kinds of things that he could send into your life to discipline you. Do you know what a lot of people call bad luck is really good discipline? Now, I'm not saying this doesn't mean that every time trouble comes into your life, every time you face a trial or every time something doesn't go just right, it doesn't mean that God is punishing you. It doesn't mean there's some sin in your life that God's trying to correct. But here's the point. When you're being disciplined by the Lord, you will know it. Now, I'm going to make a statement that I'm sure you're going to be totally flabbergasted to hear. When I was growing up, I was spanked many, many times. Now, I know that surprises you. You can't believe that that could possibly be true. But I was spanked as a child. But i tell you another thing. When I was spanked, I never had to have somebody tell me that I was being spanked. I never had to wonder what was going on. I mean, my head was in the ballgame. When I was getting spanked, I knew what was going on. And it's the same way with the Lord. When God spanks you, when God sends His discipline into your life, believe me, brother, believe me, sister, you will know it. But if that doesn't work, if God uses internal conviction, He uses external affliction, if those two things don't work, then He has to go to the third and the most severe level of His discipline. He has to go to the third thing, eternal infliction. Eternal infliction. Now, after speaking... Then he goes to spanking, and if that doesn't work, then he goes to scourging. Verse number 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now that word scourge is a very powerful word. Now believe you me, you do not want to experience that word in your life. Scourging literally means to flog with a whip. It refers to a very severe and painful beating. Now, do you know that there comes a time, there may come a time, and there has in the past come times in the lives of children of God that God has spoke to them, it did not work. God spanked them, it did not work, and then the only other step was death. Are you aware that you could get so far away from God, you could rebel so far to the point that the only remedy is death? The Apostle John said in 1 John 5, 16, he said, There is a sin unto death. I heard, about, I heard a statement that uh, the late Dr. Homer Lindsay made. It was, he was the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida. He made this statement, and it's a very interesting statement. It's a very true statement. Listen to what he said. Some church members must be lost. Now listen to what he said. Some church members 
must be lost. Because if they were saved, God would kill them for the way that they're living. Are you understanding? God, our God is a jealous God. God is jealous over His children. And God would rather kill you, God would rather kill me, than let Satan have us. God would rather kill you than let Satan have control of your life. So if internal conviction doesn't work, and external affliction doesn't work, then God will go to eternal infliction. That is the personal route to discipline. But there's a third thing that I want you to notice. Not only the powerful reasons for discipline and the personal uh, route of discipline, but number three, the proper response to discipline. How do you respond when God's discipline comes into your life? When He takes you on that trip to His woodshed, how can you respond? How should you respond? Well, you can resent it. You could resent God for making you face His discipline. I heard about a little girl. She was disobedient to her mom. She kind of backtalked mom. Mom said, all right. I need to punish you for what you just did. Go get in that closet and you stayed there until I come get you. So she went into the closet and the mother, it was real quiet in there. And the mother began to worry a little bit. So she went to check on her. She opened up the door, looked at her little girl and said, what are you doing in here? And the little girl said, well, I spit on your shoes. I spit on your coat. I spit on your dress. And now I'm just waiting for more spit. And you think about it, I mean, she resented the discipline that she was receiving. Now you could resent the discipline that God sends into your life. So you could resent it. Secondly, I would say, not only could you resent it, but you can reject it. You could reject the discipline of the Lord. You can get the attitude that says, well, God, if that's the way you're going to be, if you're going to treat me like that, then I'm just going to quit. I'm not going to be a part of anything that, I don't know who you think you are. I, I, I don't want to face your, your discipline. I, don't, I am not going to put up with it. I'm leaving. I'll quit. You can reject it. But I'm reminded of what one old preacher said. He said, if the Lord is your shepherd, then you are his sheep. And he has the perfect right to shear you anytime he needs wool, and you have no right to say anything about it. You can reject the discipline of the Lord. So you can resent it, you can reject it, but thirdly, here's the way you should respond to it. You can receive it. You can receive the discipline of the Lord. Now we must understand that the purpose of discipline is to train us and to teach us and to bring us back to where God wants us to have. I think of what Job said in Job 5, 17. He said, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. Now I understand that discipline is a very bitter pill to swallow. In verse number 11, that's what he says. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. It's a bitter pill to swallow when you're having to go through it, when you face that discipline of the Lord. But just like that bitter medicine, in the end, it's going to be the best thing for you to receive the discipline of the Lord. That is the proper response to discipline. But then there's a fourth thing that I want to bring to your attention. Fourth, thing, fourth and the final thing I want you to see about a trip to God's woodshed. Not only a pow the powerful reasons for discipline, the personal route of discipline, the proper response to discipline, but number four, the positive results of discipline. The positive results of discipline. Now I want you to get this, listen to me. Every time God sends discipline into your life, every single time, if you receive it properly, every single time the result is always, is always going to be positive. Every time God sends discipline in your life, if you were to receive it, the result will always be positive. Well, what are the results? Well, in verse number 11, I see, first of all, there is peace. There is peace. 
Verse number 11 says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. The first result of God's discipline is peace. Do you know who the most miserable human being alive is? The most miserable person alive in this world is not the sinner that is out there living his life the only way he knows how and enjoying the things of the world. That's the only way he knows how to live. The most miserable person in the world is not that person. The most miserable person in the world is the Christian, is the person who is in God's family but is out of fellowship with the Lord. But when God, through His discipline, brings that child back into the proper and right relationship with Him, what is the first thing that comes back? It is peace. It is His peace. That is the first result of God's discipline is peace. But secondly, I want you to notice something else. Not only do you get peace, but number two, there is productivity. Productivity. There in verse number 11, we just read it. Nevertheless, afterward it it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. You see, God uses discipline in our life the same way that you would maybe prune an apple tree or prune some kind of fruit tree or something like that. You've got to get those dead limbs off of there. You've got to prune those things off there. If you don't, you're not going to get the proper, uh, you're not going to get all the fruit that you could have received. But when God, by His discipline, brings us to where He wants us to be, there is peace and there is productivity. But there's a third thing that I see, and it's in verse number 10. Not only do we get peace and productivity, but you also get purity. Purity. Look at verse number 10. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasures, but He for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness. Do you know that God is not primarily interested in your health? That's not God's primary interest. God's primary interest is not your health. And God is not overly concerned with your happiness. He wants you to be happy, but God's not overly concerned with your happiness. But God is totally preoccupied with your holiness with your holiness. And God wants us to be holy and right before Him. And God sometimes has to use His discipline whenever we are living our lives that is not patterned after His book, not patterned after His Son. God sometimes has to bring discipline in our lives to make us holy, to make us pure once again. I'll close with this story, and I think this kind of illustrates the whole idea of a trip to God's woodshed. I heard about a little boy... He's playing on the side of a pond. It wasn't a very big pond. It was real smooth and a real pretty pond. He was playing along the side with, a, with a, his little toy sailboat. And he was playing with it there in the water just a couple of inches deep. Well, he got distracted. He kind of looked around at some birds or whatever, thought I heard a deer or something. And, but when he looked back around, his sailboat had kind of drifted out into the pond and he couldn't reach it. He couldn't get it back. He tried, it. He tried everything he could to get it back and he just couldn't do it. The little boy began to cry. Well, about that time, there was a man walking along, the sea, walking along the shore of that pond, and he happened to see the little boy in a little bit of a distance. He, he saw him crying. He didn't know what happened, didn't know what was wrong. But the closer he got, he saw the sailboat out there in the pond, and he realized what had happened. Well, when he got up to the little boy, the little boy was still crying. He said, Mr., can you help me get my sailboat back? And the man said, I'll do the, I'll do the best I can. And so what the man did, he did a very interesting thing. He went down, and he, he gathered himself a group of uh, good-sized stones, good-sized rocks. And what he did, he would throw those rocks on the other side of that sailboat, out deeper into the pond. And that little boy looked at him and said, Mr., what are you doing? And the man didn't pay any attention to him. He just kept throwing the rocks on the other side, on the far side of the sailboat. 
What an interesting thing happened. As that man threw those rocks onto that smooth pond, it... discipline works in our life. When we uh, drift from him out, on, out into the sea of sin, God, uh, God throws out his disturbing stones of his loving discipline and he creates loving ripples. And he does that to push us back to where we ought to be in the loving arms of our Savior. Our life might be doing great, and everything's smooth and wonderful, but God, when we get away from Him, He'll disturb those waters, and those ripples that, that occur draw us back to Him. That is the purpose of a trip to God's woodshed. It's not enjoyable as you go through it. It's not pleasant as you're experiencing it, but it's not all that bad when you receive it and the desired result comes about. Amen? Take your prayer sheet if you would, unless we want to go to the Lord in prayer. We remember our missionary of the week, the church of the week, those that are in the hospital. Our missionary of the week this week is George Trask from the Sand Mountain Bible Camp. We want to remember to pray for him and that whole ministry up there. Beautiful place up there. Pray for Brother Trask and his wife and all the, those that are up there working. The church of the week is Antioch Baptist Church in Hogansville, Georgia. This is, uh, the pastor is uh, Wesley Boatman. Now, Wesley Boatman, he is the uh, son-in-law of Burton Martha Van Orr. And so we want to pray for him and his ministry there at Antioch Baptist Church. At Health South, as I said earlier, Karen Bikina is still there. Uh, at Memorial is Doris Myers, Sandy Sutton's mother, Bill Brooks. This is Dean Brooks' dad. He had surgery today, tripped quadruple, excuse me, quadruple uh, bypass surgery. But I said he come through very well. And uh, so you want to continue to remember him in prayer. In fact, uh, if you know Dean, he's probably talked to you about Jesse. And he's real excited about what God's done in Jesse's life, his nephew's Life And it is a very exciting, thrilling story. Well, Jesse was talking to his papaw, Bill Brooks, uh, I think it was this morning or yesterday morning before he was going into surgery, and said, Papaw, are you saved? And uh, he said, I think I am. And he's 10 years old. said, Papaw, there ain't no think so. <laughs> you have to know that you're saved. And Bill Brooks got saved this morning before he went into surgery. And uh, so that, that, was, that was wonderful. Dean, Dean was in tears sharing me with, with me that story. A little 10-year-old boy talking to his papa. Isn't that great? But we do want to continue to remember him in prayer. And then we want to pray for the family down there in the lower left-hand corner of Harold Hamilton. Funeral was today. This is Peggy Falls' brother. And then also the family of uh, Eunice Bettis. This is Miss Kendall's niece. Uh, the visitation is tonight, but it ends here at 8 o'clock tonight. And the funeral is tomorrow at 1130. So we want to remember all these things. Well, I'll ask all of you that can and will, let's just gather around this altar. Or you may want to kneel right where you're at. But just find a place that you can pray. And let's remember the missionary of the week. Let's remember the church of the week. And of course, remember our pastor and their family as they're coming back. And let's just lift all these things up in prayer. Let's go to the, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I ask John Emmerich, if you would, open us in prayer, and then, then I'll close. Yes. <clears throat> yes. Father, we do thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we do want to remember Brother George Trask and the ministry up there on Sand Mountain. Lord, I pray that you would just touch them. And Lord, I don't know what all the needs are, but Lord, I pray that you would just meet each need according to your perfect will. Pray that you would encourage him and give him a renewed vision and zeal for what you've called him to do. Lord, I pray that you would just touch him and meet every need. Lord, I pray for Antioch Baptist Church, Brother Boatman. Lord, I pray that you would just touch him, Lord, and and uh, Lord, I pray that you would just encourage him there in that work. I pray that you would just touch every area of ministry in that church. I pray that you would just touch their deacon board, touch their Sunday school teachers, and, 
and everybody that's involved, everybody that's working in that church. Lord, I pray that your hand would be upon them. Lord, I pray that many souls would be saved and lives would be changed. And, and uh, Lord, I pray that you would just touch them and encourage them tonight. Lord, remember those that are in the hospital and many needs represented here tonight. And Lord, we just lift up to you all these things. We leave them at your feet. Lord, we trust you to take care of each one according to your perfect will. We pray especially for those that lost loved ones this week. And, and Lord, we pray that you would just your grace would be abundant to them today and in the days to come. And Father, we do love you and praise you for this place. Thank you for our pastor and the family. Lord, I pray that you just be with them as they travel home tomorrow. Give them safety. We do thank you for our pastor. Pray that you would just continue to keep your hand upon him. We thank you for our church. Thank you for what you're doing here. And thank you for what has been done in the past. And we thank you in advance for what you are yet to do, what you're going to do in the future with Temple Baptist Church. Lord, we, we do love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right. Well, I appreciate everyone coming out tonight. Don't forget those of you that uh, want to go to the class. As soon as I can get over there and get everything set up, we'll begin building your mate's self-esteem. This will be the fourth and the final night of that. And those of you that are going home, you be careful and you be faithful. Be back here at 945 Sunday morning. Hang on, just, just one moment. Let me get your attention just for a second, okay? Yes, sir. In prayer, uh, Friday he fell off of a balcony in a, on a house in North Carolina. He uh, builds log cabins up in the mountains up in North Carolina, and, and he <coughs> fell on his head and his shoulder and dislocated his shoulder and broke six ribs and punctured his lung. And uh, me and my wife went down there a couple of days ago to see him, and, and uh my dad knows the right way. He's been in church before and uh, took all of us kids to church. But he lived like the devil all his life. And uh, we've never seen no fruits of his salvation. And no matter how mean my dad has been, my brother that pastors the church in, in Iowa, he, he still writes, Dad, and just brags on the Lord to him and tries to encourage Daddy, and Daddy never writes him back or nothing. And me and my wife was down there uh, a couple days ago, and and uh, he said twice, he said, I think this is a wake-up call. And uh, I just wanted to say one thing here tonight. I don't want to take up much of your time. A little over a year ago, I got completely out of the will of God. I put my family, stepped out of them. I stepped out on my son, but most of all, I stepped out on God. I put God as far away from me as I could. But January the 25th of this year, I told God I know I accepted you as my Savior years ago, but I've never put my complete faith and trust in you, and I do that right now. And ever since then, God has answered more prayers in my life 
God has done more for me since I turned back to him. And that first thing he gave me, exactly what the preacher said tonight, was peace. The first thing that I got was peace. And ever since then, God has put a lot in my life. God has done a lot for me. And I want to say tonight, I thank God for a whole lot. And God has put someone in my life to share my life with, and that's my wife. And I love her to death. Ain't much I'd fight for in this life, but I guarantee you that's one thing right there I'd fight for. My wife, and I believe God meant for that to be. I love her tonight. I thank the Lord for it. I thank the Lord for this church tonight. It's been a blessing to me. And I love Brother Ken to death. He's been a blessing to me. Y'all pray for me. Thank you for your time. Pray for my brother. What's your dad? My, my dad, I'm sorry. What's my, your dad's name? Ray Green. Get out a pen and a piece of paper and write down Ray Green, okay? And let's, let's remember him in prayer. How many of you are going to remember to pray for him? See all those hands, brother? Uh, yes. All right. Pray for Pray for this brother. Thank you for that testimony. God bless you. God bless you. All right? You are dismissed, and we'll see you Sunday morning.